This is the ZMAR Podcast. Elite Benefits of America helps small and mid-sized companies with their health insurance programs. And now, your host, Butch ZMAR. Welcome back to the ZMAR Podcast. Uh, today, I have Penn with me. He's an employee benefit advisor or um, consultant. I was trying to think of the word. Sorry about that. Uh, and it must be a Monday morning when we're recording this because I'm still feel like I'm slowing down from the weekend. We just shared. I just shared with you. We had a ton of hockey games, and we're going to lead into hockey as well. Hey, Ken, welcome to the show. Can you introduce yourself to um, our audience? Hi. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. My name is Ken Wusina. I'm a employee benefit advisor. Uh, we're headquartered here in Stanford, Connecticut. I work for Relation Insurance Services. Um, we're part of the, uh, let's say, the insurance world of acquisition. We used to be the Stanford Insurance Group uh, up and down the East Coast as SIG. And uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, Relation Insurance has acquired us so that we can compete in the large market. So now we are just, um, let's say, not just a local firm. We are a um, national firm with about 1500 employees and that's a pretty good size when you talk about um insurance agencies out there so there's a lot of tools and resources you mentioned large employers uh let's dive into a little bit about like some of the problems that some of these employers are facing obviously we have high rise cost of health insurance very high utilization most employers out there don't have access to data uh, what are you What are you seeing? Because you're going through, taking these clients through a process that helps simplify all of this stuff. So, I mean that that's that that question. There's not one direct answer for that, mm-hmm. and I really would segment it into the market space. Um, that's really how I approach it. Where really, what are we talking about? Meaning, how large is the group? How many employees? That's probably the first indicator. How many are insured? But the number one thing is is why is the employer offering healthcare? And I like to think that the number one answer is, and this may sound repetitive, but it's to attract and retain employees. And when you tie in that in the, let's say the fully insured market, average medical and premiums, health insurance premiums have increased 68% over the last 11 years. So you look at an employer and you say, well, what are the things that are of concern? And I'm sure if they were to say like CO, the cost of goods in the manufacturing space, I don't think they could put a number that has increased 68% on any one of their goods, but health insurance has increased 68%. So what, what do we need to do? I, I feel like I'll always have a job because of that. It, it's a problem that's created by the industry itself. Um, and it's really getting an employer, in my point of view, as I firmly believe this, is to view how they fund their health insurance differently. And I think once it becomes painful enough where that increase draws a red flag and they get done with cost shifting, meaning traditional cost shifting is, is well, let's shift the cost to the employees. Let's have them pay more. Well, let's change plane design. Let's, let's create more exposure with high deductibles. Once those are, let's say, exhausted, then the, the problem is real. And how are we going to adjust our funding mechanism to get back to, let's say, a true copay plan? Or I'm just throwing that out there. It's it's all relative to the type of employer and, and their, let's say, demographics, meaning what type of group is internal inside of that employer, meaning are they young, are they old, are they mid-aged? All, all those are things that are important because they all use their healthcare differently. Talk about that, right? You get to that breaking point, right? There's companies that have had to close doors or make that 
choice on what they're going to do with healthcare. Uh, and then there's mandates in a large group space, right? Like someone can't just dissolve the health insurance program because it's too expensive. And so can you walk us through some of those things that you talk to, like somebody that calls your office, you call them, or there's some introductions made of like, here are some sticking points that we need to walk through and see if you're ready to make that move. Well, yeah, I, I mean, it would, I'm, I'm kind of chuckling because yeah. there's not too many people that are calling us. You know, I'm, I'm doing a lot, especially being relation is what has been around for a while, but myself in this space here in the Northeast, it's like restarting again, having a new brokerage, really getting people to be okay with who we are in the large employer space. When I say large, I mean, mid to large space is really where I'm focused. And I really ask them a few questions about why they offer healthcare and do they understand what they're offering? Because what, what I find is 90% of them are still buying their health insurance the way they buy their personal auto insurance. Uh, they're price shopping, yep. uh, and it's very frustrating. And I, and I, I think the reason is, is it's just uh, they've done it that way for so long and don't know any different. And a lot of times they've created a relationship with their existing advisor or broker, if you will. And because they're, let's say, a good person, or maybe they golf together, or, or they are at the same country club, or there's some type of relationship with that person that they almost feel like they're going to disrupt the relationship, which they are, or, or they're going to almost cheat on this person that's been giving them advice on their health care for so long. I don't even like to use the word health care. It's rather health insurance. But when you start to look at it from a financial impact and, and how much it's costing a company, I think you, you can justify changing that relationship because of the cost control. It's not even cost savings. It's having a predictable look at your health insurance renewals. Um, and that's right in, if you look at my LinkedIn and my, t my tagline is simplifying the health insurance supply chain to create predictable renewals with health insurance plans that the employees can use. I think, and that's the key. It's not just reducing costs and, and offering plans that the employees can't use. It truly is a plan that they, the employees can use and the employer can monitor the, the or have a predictable focus on where they're going to be years to come. And you're 100% correct. We try to do that in business, right? Like, so uh, the people that we're serving, right, those business owners, they're trying to make things predictable as far as revenue goes, staff goes, you know, all this trend that they do analysts uh, on, but they somehow overstep or miss or, you know, whatever, take the status quo, if you will, uh, for the healthcare. They don't address certain things. And in some cases, depending on the market you're in, like, the, I mean, you answer that very well. It depends on the market we're in and what, um, you know, what's the target, right? And because in some markets where they're still on traditional regular health insurance plans, fully insured, not access to data that you could actually leverage, and you can't predict on anything because you don't see trends. Um, and moving them to products that have more predictability, right? You could see trends. You could make some of those changes. Um, I know before um, we jumped on, you had um, a quick slide that you wanted to show some of the ones that were watching the video. We'll talk through it on the audio. And maybe you could give some light on some more of what um, what you do for these employers. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll connect with that right now. I'll share that. But... Before I get to that, just real quick, when, when I sure. set up a new meeting with an employer, I usually send them, just, just tell them right away that my approach to employee benefits is very different than the, the typical health insurance broker. Because uh, 90% of them in the, let's say, mid-market, and I define mid-market as 25 to 300 employees, 
um, they're still doing they're still doing things the way they've done it for the last twenty years. And I asked them a few questions, and these are the these are the, my top four. That how are you currently forecasting your health insurance renewals? Mm-hmm. What is your individual premium per employee per year? And I'd be shocked. A lot of them don't know, so they're not really sure what they're paying per employee per year. And then what is your per employee per year profit? And then the final question is, is how are you managing claims? And so there's a reason behind each of those questions, which I'm not going to tell you every reason because that's part of my actual presentation on my, my first appointment. But the, those four questions really give me a good understanding of, of how they view their health insurance. And the number one question in there is, how are you forecasting your renewals? And I usually find that they're not. They're, mm-hmm. they're treating health insurance on a 12-year calendar renewal. When they get the renewal, then it's time to say, all right, how are we going to adjust for this increase? And, and then the ball rolls and they start to plan. So I like to be ahead of that and really let them know. And I'm going to share the case study. I think it's a great yeah. example of, of how we were able to do this. For those who are listening to the audio recording, uh, you could catch this on YouTube, um, the video video version of it. So this is um, it's a small group, 28 employees, and this is been one of our clients part of the reason i i'm gonna i'm gonna backtrack a little i was at a large firm a big box broker i won't say their name but i really couldn't cater to the groups that were in that 25 to 200 life space and in connecticut we're right on the suburbs of manhattan and new york new jersey there's there's a ton of businesses that fit in that range so in this group this is a smaller size group and there's there's 28 employees here. It's a con- old com- Connecticut manufacturing company. And what I did here is I basically trended out from 2019. This is what our team did because I, I was not here at Relation when this actually was our client. But this is a perfect example in the, in the groups that I love to work with. This goes back to 2019. And the purple graphs show if they stayed fully insured, where they would be in 2023. And the blue graphs are alternative funding where we have partially self-insured, self-funded, reference-based pricing, and it walks its way through for a total savings of almost a quarter million dollars. So $235,000 of savings. Um, So I'm just gonna define what I have here on the fully insured graph. I'm using 6.18%. If you were to go to any of the employers out there, they would say that's very low. Um, but what I did here is I got a stat from the Kaiser Foundation that said that fully insured premiums have increased 68% in the last 11 years. So I just took that 68% divided by 11, and that's how I got the 6.8. But if you're living in that space that's less than 200 lives, you're going to have renewals that are a lot higher than 6%. So I'm sure anyone that we hears this or, or we talk to, they'd be happy with a 6% increase. With that being said, that's the number I used. Each year I've added 6% in the, in the, the fully insured purple graph. And the blue graph is what we actually did for them. So the first year we moved them to a partially self-funded group, which is lack of a non-technical term, level-funded plan and they had a 6% decrease in their premium. The next year we moved them into a fully self-insured plan and they had a almost 11% decrease. And the best thing about making that move 
from the fully insured to level funded. And what I really love is self-funded is that we were able to manage their claims. We we're able to see the utilization, unlike being fully insured, where we had no clue of what was going on underneath the hood. So when the insurance carrier would come with a renewal, if we asked why, the only answer they had was because that's trend. We, we didn't know how the group was running. We didn't know if there were large claims, small claims. We weren't, we weren't allowed access to that data. So as soon as we change funding mechanisms, we can see data. If we can manage claims, we can manage cost, and we can reduce overall premium. So if we're going to go, I'm going to go back to the graph. In 2021, we were still self-funded, and it was a level renewal. So what that means is the company flat out made money. Instead of paying to manage their claims, they retained that premium. And we made a big jump in 2023, 2022. We had a, a negative 26% renewal and we moved them to RBP, reference-based pricing. I just, um, last month we did a webinar on RBP. And the biggest misconception I think is the lack of knowledge of understanding of how RBP works and how you can negotiate claims. And when I say how you can negotiate claims, we're negotiating claims and our TPA assistants are partners behind the scenes. And so when we move into the last year, I'm kind of just flying through this, let me know if I'm going too fast. On the, good. the last year, and two, which was this year, I can't think of one employer that was happy when I've ever introduced a 14% increase. This was a great experience for me and for them because we knew this was coming because we saw our claims. We had one large claim out of the 28 employees. So we were expecting an increase, but we, we increased our, our, our total costs, 14% increase. But if you look at the comparisons to where they were on fully insured, we still saved $235,000 of premium with a 14% increase. So a group like this, this is the, a, a great case study because it's a small group and it really fits with a lot of the manufacturers here in Connecticut. Um, and again, this was a great case study. Obviously, I'm using a, a great. Does it always run this way? No. Uh, it's all relative to the claims utilization and how we're managing the claims. Um, but what I like the best, though, is that there's no shock. We know where we're going to be at the end of the year. In the worst case scenario, we could always go back to fully insured and we'd still be ahead of the game. So I wanted to share that. Um, do you have any questions on that, Butch? Or no, that I think this done? is great. Uh, and the the ones that listen to the audio, we'll make this available um, on YouTube as well. So you can um, view it there. But one thing I do want to point out because yeah, you you had talked about trends, right? So this graph is actually spelling out. So we have it's a bar graph going from 2019 to 2023, and each year there's um uh one one bar that's the fully insured, and then the strategy used um is the second bar, and you're you're looking at a, a graph on the on the fully insured. It just continuously just keeps going up, and, and on a you know, I wouldn't call it linear, but it's just kind of going up on a, a, it's almost like whether you use it or not, it still has a trend and it's going to go in that direction no matter what. And then obviously you've built these strategies in, but I, one thing I wanted to point out, I just, um, 
is that in 2023, even though you and you kind of said this, but I just want to, I guess, restate it because it's important for those who are listening to this. Even though you had a 14 percent increase, you're still lower than you when you started in 2019. And and yes, not all cases are like this, but obviously it goes back to the, what your tagline is on LinkedIn. And those who are listening to this definitely reach out to Ken on LinkedIn. Um, but you could now take renewals and make them predictable, right? Whether they're going to be higher claims, lower claims, and then that'll adjust for the actual um, renewal. And you could predict things from a business standpoint where you need to be revenue-wise or employee-base-wise to get to that point where you guys are headed. A lot of times, too, I tie this back into, you know, each year you're having savings. You as the employer, where can you direct that money? Uh, Mm -hmm. There's so many different ways especially, I mean, obviously this is manufacturing. There's many manufacturers here in Connecticut, um, but they're always looking at overall costs or managing budget. And it can be directed in so many different ways. It, it, it truly is a great case study. But yeah, thank mm-hmm. you for letting me share that. I think it uh, really drills yeah. home. And it, yeah, a lot of what you do for the the middle market, the middle and large market, where you're talking about a case study here of 28 employees, and let's say if you did 10 times that, right? So you now you have a 280 uh, life group and the savings that's there for this kind of strategy. And you probably have more levers to pull to help strategize a little bit more for predictability on those larger groups. 100%. If you own a business, Elite Benefits of America wants to remind you that health insurance open enrollments are either happening now or coming very quickly. And this is the time to review and implement a health care plan to make or keep you as the employer of choice. Deadlines for open enrollment range between November 1st and January 1st. Get ahead of the curve. The Small Business Special Enrollment Period, part of the Affordable Care Act, now allows employers with 49 employees and under to offer health benefits without contributing a dime to the employee plan. Help your employees save money on taxes with health insurance they're already paying for with their hard-earned dollars. Butch Zemar from Elite Benefits of America wants you to reach out to him today. Visit EliteBenefits.net or call 708-535-3006. One thing I, I wanted to bring up, because I, I thought you were going to bring it up with your introduction, you got this big hockey career uh, behind you now, but but you played a, a lot of hockey, right, in your day, and I think that's fantastic. So one, questions I, I, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is because you played a high-level hockey, there's a lot of competition, right? There's a lot of things going on, a lot of skill work that goes – how has that made you a better benefits advisor to this day? Because there's a lot of translation. I see it with my boys. I did not play the game. I play now in what they call a beer league, and uh, and it's a lot of fun. But uh, what 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 are some ideas that you you can share that you know has made you like a better benefit advisor as a result of your you know past? Well, we got to be careful how we talk about hockey because we could uh, I could fill a lot of space here. Yes, uh, it's, you know, sports in general, I think are are very important for number one kids. And the fact that, I I mean, I'm still playing today. I played this morning. Uh, I play usually every Monday from seven to eight in the morning. And it's just um, hockey to me on on the physical aspect alone has been unbelievable. But the team, I've, I've taken more away from being part of teams than I think any class in school. 
um, or, or anywhere. It's about having the mindset of, you know, you don't always win. Um, and, and you have to have that mindset of being persistent and realizing that there are going to be ups and downs through business and life. Um, but, but realizing becoming consistent, I think has probably been the thing that I've taken away from, from sports and it's, and, you know, hockey. Yeah. It's been a big part of my life, but sports in general, um, of just saying, you know, Hey, it doesn't happen overnight with anything and you you put the time into it and you do the same thing each day realizing that you're going to get different results each day but knowing that each day you're going to get a little better um and improve on that on that now transitioning into hockey and, and what it's become now um i am part of hockey players in business i'm actually the chapter president here for connecticut and to be able to network with other like-minded people that have played hockey there's always been an instant bond and I always noticed that way back when, when I was going to starting my insurance career 20 something years ago, going to chamber of commerce events and trying to get out there, I come across somebody that played hockey at one point in their, in their life, or were just a big fan. And it always was an instant bond, uh, easy to talk to. And, um, when I saw hockey players in business on LinkedIn, I said, you know, what is this all about? I mean, this would be great to start from the bond and then talk about business after. Um, mm -hmm. so kind of jumped right in. But um, or, or or start off with business and end up talking about hockey. Yeah, it's <laughs> I, I I wish it was that way, but it seems like every time that uh, hockey comes up, it kind of takes over the conversation. Especially now that we're in the the middle of the uh, NHL playoffs. I mean, it's just uh, the constant conversation. Um, but I, I took the hockey players and business to another level and went went back to my I went to St. Michael's College up in Vermont. And I called up their, their coach and uh, I said to them, you know, hey, you know, you're playing here in Connecticut. I'd like to come in and address the team and just talk to them about using your business, using your hockey network after college. And um, the coach came back to me and said, you know, instead of talking to the whole team, how about you talk to the seniors? And uh, walking into that locker room to talk to eight, eight seniors, I think there were, or there might have been a little more, um, I kind of had a, a second second uh, thought or do I really want to do this? Cause I immediately wanted to tell them all the fun things that happened in college and with our hockey team. And uh, <laughs> I had to, you know, do a, like a, a check myself basically and say, okay. but what happened was, is I told them I didn't have all the answers, but, but what I did have was the experience to let you know that your hockey network and your relationships will, will forever be there. And what those, those kids have that let's say we didn't, was they have an instant network walking around with them on their phone, you know, and the ability to pull up someone on LinkedIn and find out that they went to your college or that they played hockey somewhere and you want to ask them a question, I, I guarantee that they will give them at least a half an hour of their time to ask them. And that really transitioned to, I did ended up doing two or three zoom calls with individual players and just giving them some advice. And, um, one happened to be right here from Connecticut and uh, he followed up twice and I really helped him make some decisions on his possible next career moves. Um, but I did leave all of them with the same comment. I said, guys, this is the time for you to go out and fail, you know, and your guidance counselor isn't going to tell you that. And your parents aren't going to want to hear that. I said, but you know what? I said, I look back at my career and where did I learn the most Were the times that I got my butt kicked that I failed, you know, and realizing that that was part of the learning curve. And, um, and I, I told, I told all of them, I said, you know what, you want to pick a, a job that makes you nervous or that you feel mm -hmm. uncomfortable. This is the time where you want to feel uncomfortable. 
You know, don't, mm-hmm. you, you can always take the safe route later in life or at any time, maybe, but I, I truly feel that all the accomplishments that I've had or overcome or, or, or when I've succeeded is because I've pushed myself to be uncomfortable. And even doing this, this is my first podcast. If, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to go back years, I would, I would run from the camera or run from mm-hmm. being the focus, but mm-hmm. I've actually adapted to, even with social media, it was hard. I go back five, six years ago to put my fo- first post on LinkedIn and all those little, let's say, apprehensions or, or old feelings of, am I saying what somebody else said? Is Am I repeating myself? Is, does it sound corny? Mm-hmm. Uh, went through my head and I always use, I, I still use the, the ratio of two to one, meaning we have two ears, one mouth, listen before you speak. And, um, it, you can't do that if you're going to post on LinkedIn, you got to be the one speaking first. So it's a little different. Um, but it's, it's, again, it's a learning. I'm, I look back and I kind of laugh at my old post and I'm like, man, I really missed the ball and then, uh, or m- m- missed the point. And then sometimes you know, I, I'm like, you know what? I got to say the same thing over and over again for the point to actually be heard. Um, so again, I know I transitioned yep. from hockey players and business yep. to college to sure. LinkedIn, but uh, it's all relevant stuff to me. Yeah, um, well, you you bring up a lot of good points and just kind of tie it back together as we we start to wrap up here. Is that a lot of things you had said just in the last what a couple minutes or so? Uh, you know, obviously there's hard times, right? We learn from them and we move on. When we talk about business and when we talk about employee benefit programs, there's hard times, which is increasing costs, right? It's about trying to work through those, right? And and bringing those expertise to the table and learn from them. But that's where you come in, right? You bring all the life experiences that you've done. And, and likewise, I'm in the Midwest. And so we bring those to the employer so they can save time, right? They don't have to go through that huge learning cycle, right? But you have to start making a move to start getting ahead of the trend. And uh, if you do nothing, uh, you're not going to take action on it. Um, and um, obviously, there's going to be issues with that if you just keep doing the same status quo, right? Just paying higher premiums. But this is definitely uh, great stuff. And you shared a lot of content. I know you've been doing some webinars. I don't know if you have any webinars scheduled, but if you if you do, you could share some of that. Um, otherwise, give your contact information um, so that people can reach out to you directly if anything's needed from uh, from you. I thank you. I um. I had a monthly, I have a monthly webinar series. Our last month's webinar was on RBP, reference-based pricing. It was my most highly attended to date. We had 63 attendees and it was an eye-opener. Um, the, the the biggest, uh, I mean, I have some of the comments here memorized, but I, I received great feedback. Um, I'm just going to read a few real quick. I said, I didn't realize that my health insurance company overpays three to six times a fair rate of reimbursement for healthcare my employees use. I mean, that was an eye-opener. We, we got stuck on that during the webinar for a few minutes, and we just really went, dug deep on it. Um, getting access to my data and creating transparency allows me to have predictable renewals. Um, managing claims, lowering the cost of claims allows us to have lower the cost of our health insurance. Those were the top three. Um, our next webinar coming up is on pharmacy, uh, on pharmacy spend, and I have multiple employers already signed up for that. Um, I think the thing with that is that I'm going to have to set the stage when we begin because we have some larger groups that already 
fully already self-insured and understand what it means to carve out your pharmacy. And then we have some groups that are fully insured that are more or less going for the educational process of hearing what we have to say. But I stated this in LinkedIn. I said, even if you're still fully insured, are you aware that the top 25 drugs your employees use make up 80%, 85% of your pharmacy cost? And that in turn equals 30% of your company's total health insurance costs. So I'm anticipating another 15% increase on pharmacy this year. So this is the time where we start to dig into pharmacy, what drugs are our employees using, how come only 25% make up 85% of the cost. Um, so when is that web? That webinar is this Wednesday at one. I know that may be too soon to get this out for the podcast. If it does, it's great. If not, that's fine. We I think we have 77 and already registered to attend. Um, but again, there's always a, a ratio on that because they're registered on LinkedIn. Do they actually attend is another yep. story. So, yeah, great stuff. Uh, we'll try to share some of the information in the show notes. If uh, and and that way, if any future ones, we'll try to get things a faster turnaround on this to see if we can get it out there for you. If not, then at least they can see uh, where where to go for registering for the next one. So, hey, Ken, this has definitely been great. I love uh, all that you bring to the table. Your hockey experience, trying to bring that to the workplace and and have predictable outcomes when it comes to these renewals. So, I appreciate your time. Thank you. It was an honor. It was a pleasure being here.